you're about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Happy New Year, America. Can I can I can I say that yet? I mean technically it's not not quite New Year. I mean we have well somewhere maybe it has already. Look. I am more than ready to get this year over with. <laughs> On to the next one. But what does 2021 have in store for us? Turns out, probably much of the same as 2020. We'll talk about all of it. Matter of fact, some major things you want to hear about in this slow, traditionally slow news time. In fact, you're not hearing about them. What happened in Georgia yesterday? Some bombshells dropped. And... Much more. We'll get to all of it coming up. Justin Barkley from WOOD in Grand Rapids on Wood Radio, filling in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program. So what's in store for 2021 as we knock on that door? Yeah, the time is ticking. 2020 is swiftly flying out of our hands. And uh, a lot of folks celebrating that. A good thing in a lot of ways. But I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just saying, if you want to look forward to what is to come, you don't have to go too far. We'll talk about some of those things that you can do to really get a, a grip on what is coming and, you know, maybe to shape some of it. Meanwhile, let's go to Georgia because one of the things we saw this last year and and most recently, is a complete media blackout. Yeah. It has been, especially since the election, quite something. Not just on the uh, usual so- suspects, the sources, the mainstream media outlets, the, the networks and the papers, etc. Um, but also on social media. It's been tough to get the word out. Oh, about election fraud. Questions of this alleged election fraud. In fact, yesterday, big hearing happening in Georgia. Did you see this on the news? Chances are you didn't. President's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, yesterday. There are 10 ways to demonstrate that this election was stolen, that the votes were phony, that there were a lot of them, dead people, felons, phony ballots, phony mail-in ballots. How is it that in every single Republican county in this state, state senators ran ran ahead of the president by four to six percent? Every single one. Exactly the same. Four to six percent. We know the president's favorability in this state. We know that at least in a few of those cases, he's going to run ahead of the Republican senators. And it just so happens it's just in the states where they fix the vote that that happened. In other states, the president ran ahead of most Republican state senators. So I'm tired of demonstrating it. There are so many ways of demonstrating it. You know it. This is a question of courage. It's ultimately a question of courage. Do you have the courage to stand up to the obligation the Constitution of the United States put on you to save our people from fraud, to save the reputation of the state of Georgia? From, from in history, certifying a phony vote that led to the wrong result in an election, which will be the verdict of history? Or do you have the courage to put up with what's going to happen 
if you, in fact, change that certification and do the right thing. The president's attorney, there's former mayor Rudy Giuliani there, letting it out. Compelling argument. The problem is Americans aren't hearing it. And even with the fact that most Americans aren't hearing it, uh, there are a lot that stand up and say, hey, we think maybe something's a little off. But, you know, it's interesting because you can't have that conversation. You can't ask questions. And social media is censoring everything. And in fact, that that video, I I still have we have we heard? I think we've yet to even hear what what happened with that video where they're pulling boxes, cases out from underneath the table after they closed things down that night. It was reported that a water main had broken in State Farm and they had to get in there and repair it. And so they sent everyone home. You see on video them leaving. This is security camera footage. And then uh, just a, a bit later, after all the folks have left, the, the observers, well, they pull these cases out from underneath the table and go to town counting these things. We have yet to receive an explanation of what happened. We have yet to hear from those people who were there in the room. You know, if this was any other day and age, we'd have investigative reporters knocking on their doors, asking questions. They'd be sitting down and they'd be answering these questions. In fact, this Georgia Senate or 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 uh, the legislature, they would have these people testifying in front of them as to what happened. Look, if there's nothing to see here, be transparent about it. Be open about it. But that's not what we've seen this entire time. The absolute lack of transparency, I believe, is the evidence that something nefarious went down. Something very wrong. And how is that going to affect and play out coming up of the Georgia election? In just days, we shall see. But I got to tell you, when it comes to 2021 and what's on the horizon, more of what we've witnessed in 2020... Unless people stand up and unless we start to see some change. We'll talk about what some of that is and also what you may have missed yesterday. Because there was bombshell after bombshell. One particularly big one dropped yesterday when it comes to those Dominion machines in Georgia that I found really fascinating. We've been heard all along. That these machines, nothing to see here. They can't connect to the internet. There's no issues. There's no there's no chance or problem to, to hack these machines. But as I've said all along, there should never be even appearance of impropriety. We can't afford that in our system. Because if that is possible, all bets are off. I, I saw um, a story. I don't know. It's a poll. Actually, it's on the blaze right now. You can go over and check it out. 55% of very conservative folks who label themselves very conservative Georgia voters say they won't r- vote in the runoffs. And they're going to stay home because they think it's a rigged process. And I don't know who did the poll and. And we get into more of that coming up and whether it's it's legit or not. But I don't blame them. I understand. If you're in Georgia, I get it. If you're 
anywhere in this country and you voted and you're scratching your head. Heck, I'm in Michigan. We certainly have plenty of questions about what happened here, and we have some answers, in fact, about what happened in Antrim County. We got to look into those voting machines. And if you know Antrim County, if you don't, it's a tiny little county up north that generally votes and swings Republican. There were some issues this year. And all was revealed. Well, more questions than answers. And the answers that we got were pretty shocking. We've talked about some of this before. And, and uh, matter of fact, when I filled in for Glenn a while back, we've had uh, guests on the attorney that was a part of that lawsuit, Matt DiPerno. We've talked to him. Going to talk to another friend. He's a former Michigan senator. He was actually there at the TCF Center the big convention center in Detroit. You've probably seen the video and the and the photos where, again, for transparency purposes, in the middle of this counting, not only did they stop in the middle of the night like a handful of other states, but in the middle of the counting the next day, they decide for transparency purposes, you know, best practices, what they were going to do was put up cardboard over the windows so that folks that were outside trying to get in after they'd kicked observer after observer out, um, trying to get in, they wouldn't be able to see anything. A complete lack of transparency. So what happened in that room? Matter of fact, he'll shed some more light on that. Plus, what we're learning about those Dominion machines from Antrim County. And you've heard a lot of talk about January 6th. There's big news about that coming out of uh, oh, out of yesterday with Senator Josh Hawley. We'll talk about that. What could happen on January 6th? What is in store for this country as we inch closer to 2021? Back right after this on the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back in. Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. And the questions that are still unanswered for 2020, we march forward into the new year Trying to get some answers. We do have some, but a lot of questions remain. And what I find is the smugness of some of these folks who refuse to even ask or entertain questions. These are the journalists, and I use air quotes, that should be curious. I, I am. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I want to know what happened. And it turns out we have some ideas. Joining me right now is former Michigan Senator Pat Kolbeck. He's the host of a podcast, Let'sFixStuff.org, a good friend of mine. And, Pat, appreciate you being here with us today. How are you? Oh, great. How are you doing, Justin? Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck Program, and Happy New Year, I guess I can say that. Well, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover here, but, Pat, yesterday in Georgia, I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this or not. I'm just going to play a little bit of this audio from this bombshell that broke down about the Dominion machines being connected to the Internet. This was broke uh, early in the week and last week about connected devices at this very moment at a polling location in the county. Um, not only do we now have access through the devices to the poll pad, the system, but we are in. 
and it's not supposed to have Wi-Fi, and that's not supposed to be able to happen. So we've docu documented now it's communicating two ways in real time, meaning it's receiving data and sending data. Should never happen, shouldn't be Wi-Fi. We've now documented it in real time so we can suck down the data. But that's going on right there where everybody's voting. I've, I've, so I just got to stop this so that people can understand what's, what's happening. There was a hearing yesterday in Georgia. And in the hearing, this man announces, as the election for the, the senators, the runoff, is happening in Georgia. As it's happening, these folks are connected to a Dominion machine. They are connected because it's connected to the Internet. And he says, we are in. We're seeing this happen right now in real time. So regardless of what happened in the election back in november we're seeing this happen right now in real time why should any of us we saw this poll 55 percent of very conservative georgia voters say they're not going to vote in this election which i believe is a mistake i think we ought to vote uh regardless of whether we believe it's rigged or not i understand it 55 percent say they're not going to i mean looking at these results patrick and what we're hearing, how should any of us have any faith or trust that our elections are secure? Well, we should listen to our folks out in D.C. who told us that this is the most secure election in, in American history. So, <laughs> right, Krebs. Like, from, uh, you know, these uh, aren't yeah. the droids you're looking for. Uh, and everything's all set. You don't have to worry about it. Uh -huh. I, you know, I, I think the key point of what happened in Georgia in particular yesterday is, number one, realize that the official narrative was that uh, there was no Internet connection with these devices. Number two, the only way that they could demonstrate that there was an Internet connection was they got some white hat hacker to get into the system and demonstrate that there was two-way communication going on with these election devices. Now, uh, just for listeners who don't know what a white hat is, a white hat is a good guy that hacks ethically a black hat is a bad guy that hacks unethically we think there are a lot of black hats involved in this election and in fact we think a lot of those um may have been representative or agents of uh other countries like china and iran um another key point to take away is why did it take a white hat hacker to go in and demonstrate that these machines were accessible to the internet and the answer to that question is because Everybody has been denied access to the electronic data all across the country, with one notable exception, and that was in Antrim County, where Judge Kevin Elsenheimer granted access to a third-party uh, team uh, working with Matt DiPerno, the attorney you were mentioning earlier. Matt has been a rock star on this. He got access to the data on those Antrim County servers, uh, but the report that came out at the request of the Michigan Attorney General, was redacted. And the redactions removed some key information that, frankly, conflicted with the information conveyed by Dominion CEO John Polis, who was under oath before testifying before a Michigan uh, Senate Oversight Committee. So those are kind of some three, three key data points. Number one, election official narrative was that they were not connected to the Internet. Number two, it took a white hat hacker to go off and demonstrate that that was false on the face of it. And number three, 
um, there, why are we being denied access to this data in the first place? This should be accessible to everybody to go off and look at. Again, we're talking about transparency, and we've had about as much transparency as they had in Detroit with a cardboard over the windows and this whole and the entire thing. Speaking of Detroit, uh, Pat Colbeck's with us right now. He's a former Michigan senator here, and in fact, he was he was part of the, uh, the Michigan election um, uh, fraud committee. The folks who went in, and, and this was years ago when you were still serving, looking at our elections, trying to make sure they're safe and secure. I know you were there at the TCF Center, at the convention center. Uh, looking at the things uh, on that day. Now, I want folks to know uh, who Pat is. Like, he's an engineer by trade. He worked on the, the space station. He's worked with NASA. I mean, this is not some just random guy off the street. Although, you did notice some things that day, specifically with the connectivity of these machines. You saw they were connected or had the ability to be. Exactly. Um, and actually, a little bit more uh, pertinent background to this topic is that I'm a certified Microsoft small business specialist, which means I've connected my share of networks in, in, in my time. And when I walked into the TCS center, which is where the home of the Detroit AV accounting board, I zeroed in on how these machines were connected. Now we weren't allowed to take photographs and I've seen some places where they've actually been able to go off and do that. I, I couldn't do that, although we did have some folks that did it. If I would have done it, I immediately would have been kicked out of the facility and my usefulness for the night would have been over. Um, but I, uh, I did note and uh, took note of the uh, connectivity between all the different devices in that facility. And the first thing that I noticed was that all the tabulator uh, machines, these uh, tabulator workstations, were connected together via Ethernet cables to a router. That router was in turn connected to another router that was connected to a series of adjudicator machines. Now, the adjudicator machine, just for your audience, whenever uh, the scanner can't read a ballot correctly, it dumps it into kind of a flex file, a flex bin, if you will, that allows people to go off and change the votes as they see fit. And you're supposed to have a Republican and a Democrat reviewing that when it happens. But anyway, in any case, from a network perspective, uh, the tabulators where they were scanning the ballots, were connected to the adjudicators, which were also connected to a local data center, if you will. It was like the master mission control center for the whole enterprise. And there's 503 precincts in the Detroit AV County Board. Pat, so, hang on, hang on. I, I want to make sure people are able to hear this information. We're going to take a quick break so we can bring it all to you. Plus, what happens next? Like, what do we do with this? Some of this you may have heard before. A lot of it's new. But now what? We'll talk about that. In fact, when we come back, Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today. 888-727-BECK. You can join the program at any time. Welcome back. Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today in the Glenn Beck program. 888-727-BECK. I'd love to hear from you if you are in Georgia. What happened there yesterday, this video? This was broke uh, early in the week and last week about connected devices at this very moment at a polling location in the county. Um, not only do we now have access through the devices to the poll pad, the system, but we are in. 
and it's not supposed to have Wi-Fi, and that's not supposed to be able to happen. So we've docu documented now it's communicating two ways in real time, meaning it's receiving data and sending data. Should never happen, shouldn't be Wi-Fi. We've now documented it in real time so we can suck down the data. But that's going on right there where everybody's voting. And I just wanted to get it into the record. It's happening. In other words, it's happening now. Former Michigan State Senator Patrick Colbeck joins me. He was there in Detroit where they put the cardboard over the windows. He noticed that the machines looked like they might have been connected to the Internet. They certainly had the capability. He's got that background in, in engineering and uh, not just some guy off the street, but he, he saw this and raised alarms about it. In fact, he's dug into to, uh, the reports with Antrim County. What did you what did you guys see when you? When, when you uh, spoke with uh, Mr. Ramsden about what happened there in Antrim County specifically. Well, in Antrim County, what they found was an amazing error rate. We were talking about punting data from the tabulator scanners, and when they couldn't read it, it would dump it to an adjudicator, right? Well, in Antrim County, what they found out was there was an error rate of around 68% where they couldn't read these scans, and they'd dump it to an adjudicator. Now, that's supposed to be the exception, not the rule. Uh, most of the time, this is well below 1% that any of this stuff should be transferred over an adjudicator. And what happens with an adjudicator is essentially that's what tees it up for a man in the middle where you can actually go off and adjust what the vote was. And that's what happened in Antrim County. And for those of your listeners who don't recall what happened, but if it wasn't for the alert uh, attention of uh, a regular old citizen, Bill Bailey, who highlighted that Antrim County doesn't vote blue, <laughs> Uh, he said something's not yeah. right here when they saw yeah, there was 6,000 mm -hmm. votes flipped. All right. Yeah. And, and this is how it's done. It's done by putting them into this flex pool called the adjudication pool. And that's what they identified in Antrim County. They also identified that the ranked choice voting algorithm was enabled. And, and uh, John Polis, the CEO of Dominion, denied that that was, uh, he denied under oath before a Michigan Senate committee that that was the case. But um, the ranked choice voting algorithm, for those of your listeners who don't know, is what enables fractional voting, i.e. decimal points in your votes. So um, my vote may be worth 1.2 and your vote may be worth 0.8, depending on who I vote for. That's what happens with this. And so mm -hmm. those were kind of the two key things that we identified coming out of Antrim County. Yeah. And uh, you see this happening in Georgia as well. Uh, they just revealed last night there were flips in Georgia in certain counties. They saw mathematically um, the charts. Some of the, the, the Trump votes went negative at some point. It, very strange. None of this uh, is being examined or, or looked at or even given the time of day by any of the broadcast networks, any of the, the mainstream uh, sources. Well, they're the and, ones casting the negative votes for Trump. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pat, I got to ask you, big big news yesterday. I mean, this was a bombshell um, that kind of made its way out, but but also, uh, Senator Hawley comes out. Josh Hawley comes yeah. out and says, "You know, I'm uh, I, I I'm going to stand up uh, on the sixth and and uh, object to 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 this uh, the the certification, the electoral yeah. college." So tell tell us what what he says, and what does that mean in this in this whole process. As it comes well, down. this is important because on January 6th, when Vice President Pence opens up all the envelopes from the states with the Electoral College votes, um, there's an opportunity to, for House members and Senate members to object to the votes that were cast. 
And we've got a lot of House members that have been very outspoken on it. I remember Congressman Mo Brooks in particular has been very outspoken yeah. on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we hadn't had any senators until Senator Hawley from Missouri, which coincidentally is a show-me state, <laughs> um, right. stood up and said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. And I'm hoping that some other senators, like Senator Rand Paul and Senator Ted Cruz, um, are going to step in. I know Senator Ron Johnson's expressed sentiments along those lines. It's a case where the more the merrier. If you're just singled out, what happens in caucus discussions, it gets kind of ugly. <laughs> you don't want to be the only one stating a particular opinion. So it would be good for him to have safety in numbers, and I don't understand why every single member of the Republican uh, Senate caucus is not standing with Josh. If this happens, and I know it's only part of the process, um, what are the chances that you know the the next steps are taken. What are the, what what's the likelihood and follow and maybe f- follow us down that that road of what that looks like and possibility of outcome. Okay, well, if the uh, if you get one House member and one Senate member um, objecting to a particular vote, it goes back to a nice little huddle for the in the House and a huddle in the Senate, and they'll come back and say, "Hey, do we accept them or do we reject them?" and if they reject them, then those votes, um, or if both of those chambers don't accept them, those votes don't go into the tally for the Electoral College votes. And if you don't get to a majority number, uh, you don't get to the 270 mark inside when all the Electoral College votes are cast, then it goes to invoke the 12th Amendment. And 12th Amendment, what happens is that the U.S. House decides uh, who the next president is. And before everybody panics and says, wait, don't we have Speaker Pelosi in there right now? Yeah, explain that process. Right. Mm -hmm. It's actually not uh, cast by all 435 members of the the, um, U.S. House. What happens is that each state gets one vote, and and that's based on their delegation. So if you have a majority of Republicans in your delegation, then you have uh, control of that particular state's vote. And what happens when you actually look at the layout of the U.S. Congress, um, there are 26 states with Republican-controlled delegations and 24 with Democrats. So in that context, President Trump would get another four years as president if all those delegations voted to um, along party lines. So okay. we'll see what happens. A couple of questions about this. Former Michigan State Senator Pat Colbeck joining us right now. Talk a little bit about this. But in Michigan... What are the odds of that happening here? Are well, we lined up to go that way or no? I have, I don't have a lot of faith in our Michigan. <laughs> uh, That's why I asked. Like, no, well, it, but it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. these can be from other states that say hey, we don't have confidence in the Got folks it. in Michigan. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be the Michigan delegation to say, hey, we don't trust our, our votes. I mean, okay. frankly, they could have done that already at the state level. Um, and said, hey, you know, we're going to go off and reassign the electors because we don't trust the election results, but our state legislature did not do that. Why not? Have they not heard from enough people? But they took action. No, what they've been doing is just going through the motions. You know, they actually, I I highlighted at the beginning of of the segment that one of the key problems we've been having is getting access to the electronic data. It's, It's taken an act of God to get it from Antrim County. So, the legislature, and this is how it works, they went off and actually subpoenaed that electronic data. But guess when they put the deadline for when they get that data back? 
They submitted this a subpoena on December 15th. They said, hey, can you get that data to us from Detroit electronic election data? Can you get all that electronic data to us by January 12th? Well, the meeting we were just discussing was Jan- it takes place on January 6th, right? That's the right, milestone. Right. So January 12th. Thank you, guys. Hey. So, oops, you know, we made no, a mistake here. Sorry. No rush. The gun. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't need It's not an emergency. We don't need this. Matter yeah. of fact, uh, meanwhile, we've been in an emergency here, locked down this entire year, uh, almost. Uh, and the question of what really constitutes an emergency has been something else that we've been talking about, not just in this state, but all across the country. All right, before I let you go, on the 6th, I know folks are going to D.C. You're going to be in Lansing at the state capitol. What, yeah. what do people do? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I really, you know, because I, I, we've talked about this quite a bit. I don't want to beat a dead horse because I know folks are, we're, we're balanced. We're kind of on this line right now. 55% of very conservative folks in Georgia said they're not voting. I mean, People are, are, are either going to be just con- completely tur- like tuning this out and saying, look, I've heard all of this. I- I'm done. I'm out, you know, yeah. or, or they're going to step up and say, look, I'm going to, I don't know what the next step is, but I'm just going to try and do the next right thing here. And, and what is that for people? Well, people need to realize that we're in a battle for the future of America and frankly, the future of the free world. And so if you tune out and say, I'm done, you, you just lost the battle. Now, there are people that are trying um, in, the, in the media, there are people that are deliberately trying to get that reaction from you. It's a PSYOP campaign, right? psychological operations in the military, that where they actually try to get rid of the will to fight by the enemy. And that's exactly what they're doing right now. When they say that Joe Biden is the president-elect, just deal with it. That's what they're saying. That's why every day I start off on my social media feed saying Joe Biden is not the president-elect. You can't succumb to that psyop. You can't lose the battle that way. we got to go out there and demonstrate on January 6th that we support the president. We support free and fair elections in America because this is much bigger than the 2020 election. This is about the 2022 election, the 2024 election. I'm ongoing. If we don't have faith in our election, we can't have faith in our country. Pat, I know people will say, like, you just want Trump to win. You're trying to overturn this thing. But you actually have an interesting record going back to 2016 here in the state of Michigan. Absolutely. Um, back when Jill Stein went off and did a call for a recount in Michigan, I, I for all the people that say, hey, you wouldn't be pushing this election integrity thing so much if Donald Trump had won. Well, no, unfortunately for them, uh, that's exactly what I did back in 2016. I called on our Michigan Attorney General and Secretary of State to do an investigation in the wake of the 2016 election to go off and see what was going on, in particular in the city of Detroit, where they had uh, at least one instance where we we discovered that there were um, 306 votes on a poll book. um, But when you actually looked in the machine, there was only 50 ballots. So did somebody find a ballot that they liked and just run it through a few times? So there's a there's a there are games that were being played back then. Um, the investigation revealed 31 counts of voter fraud in 34 jurisdictions that did not comply with data requests. So there was there's already smoke back in 2016 2017 timeframe, and regrettably nothing was done about it. Congratulations, by the way, um, former Michigan State Senator Pat Kolbeck. Uh, recovering from uh, th- this uh, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus. Uh, I know uh, you talked a little bit about that, um, but uh, you've got some interesting information up on your web- website. Let's fix stuff dot org. 
just briefly, we've only got 30 seconds left with you. Tell us what, yeah. you know, what you did and, and what worked for you. Well, I wasn't feeling too good for a few days right after Mayor Giuliani came in, testified before our Michigan House, and uh, that's when I think I picked up the bug. But uh, so there were a couple rough days there. I finally went off once I started getting respiratory issues. I got tested, and literally, and once I tested positive, I, I sought uh, um, treatment. And uh, all the cocktails that everybody's trying to be uh, trying to discourage here in the state of Michigan featuring hydroxychloroquine, uh, Z-Pak, and uh, zinc with a little bit of steroids thrown in. Uh, I took that treatment that are uh, being actively discouraged by despots like our Governor Whitmer here in Michigan, and within five hours I was feeling pretty much 100% except for some lingering respiratory issues. So um, uh, we shouldn't fear COVID. We should fear the government response to COVID. Former senator here in Michigan the state we appreciate you being here patrick kolbeck you can check him out let's fix stuff.org always a pleasure my friend and happy new year to you oh great to be with you justin happy new year we appreciate you yeah uh you can go on over and check his stuff out by the way it's people like that and it's obviously people like the blaze you think about who can you trust where can you get in for your information it's people like that it's people like the blaze where you continue to get the information the stories that matter matter of fact uh, I, I got a good newsletter as well. You can go on over and get signed up for mine. Justin Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y, justinbarclay.com slash good news. Here are the stuff that they're not telling you. The things that they're, they're, they're hiding from you. I believe there's a lot more good happening in the world. Matter of fact, we'll talk about that coming up here in a little bit and some more. Well, what you can do, what happens next as we close the door on 2020 and move forward into the new year. Back right after this, Justin Barclay filling in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. Yeah, I don't know about you, but this is important. This matters because the future of our country, and we say that, I think it sounds too grand. Maybe it sounds too broad. We say the future of our country depends on it. But let me let me break it down, because after all, who is the country? It's my daughter who was just born on the 6th of December, who's fighting right now like a little warrior. This little baby girl, she's just three pounds, she's born two pounds, six ounces. She's fighting. She's got the fight in her. And I know some of us have lost that fight. We've been beaten down. But when I say or when you hear the future of our country depends on it and not the, if not the world, it's your kids. It's mine. It's your grandkids who we're fighting for, fighting for the truth, a return to honesty, a return to what America is all about. We continue that fight. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are on social media, including the new ones, right? At Mr. Justin Barclay. In for Glenn Beck today, we continue that fight after this. Happy New Year, America. It's Justin Barkley from WOOD Wood Radio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Today and the last show. Uh, counting down the last few hours here in this year, 2020. Coming up this this hour, though, some great, uh, some great conversations. Is public health being weaponized? Vera Sharav is a Holocaust survivor, champion for human rights. An expert on biomedical research ethics, and coming up, she sees some eerie parallels to what's happening now in this pandemic. 
We'll talk to her and a man who witnessed a miracle. He was in that bombing in Nashville. And what happened to him is nothing short of a miracle. We'll talk about that coming up in just minutes today on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. She's a Holocaust survivor who is witnessing some eerie parallels to what we're seeing play out right now during this last year of the pandemic. Vera Sharav has a lot to say, in fact, about what is happening here in America, if not the world. When medicine veers away from the Hippocratic Oath that promises to respect the individual right to do no harm to the individual, then you're going to harm the community as well, because the community is a bunch of individuals. There are crossroads in life where you have to make choices. And if you don't, someone who will make the choice for you is not going to make it for your best interest. The idea of just following authority without considering what if they're wrong? What if it's not in my best interest? I wouldn't want to live in, under such a regime. I know what it's like. I know what that is. I, I don't want, I would not do it again. Vera Sharaf, thank you so much for being here with us today, uh, Vera, and taking the time. I know this is something that's uh, a passion close to your heart, a project, obviously, as a founder and president of AHRP, the Alliance of Human Research Protection. Is public health being weaponized? Yeah. So tell us, I mean, I can't imagine everything that you've seen and what you've gone through. And I believe we have to learn from our past. What what are you seeing the parallels and, and what do we need to keep in mind here? Your call to all Americans and folks throughout the world right now. Essentially, not to blindly listen to authority. This is really it's so against what America was about. America, unlike other countries, guarantees to its citizens rights, individual rights, the right to uh, religion, to speech, to assembly, and all of these things are being wiped away by would-be dictators. I mean, (laughs) in the United States, you have different governors. I mean, I'm in New York. Well, (laughs) I've got Governor Cuomo, who... Well, guess what? He just had one of his um, uh, restrictions on religious services knocked out by the court just now on Monday. I mean, Mm. the the courts are about the only institution left where they take seriously those rights that are in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. And I think that people need to understand that it's really up to us. If we don't insist on our rights, they will be taken away from us. And we can see that with this so-called pandemic. I know a lot of folks who have even asked questions throughout this entire process. I mean, well-meaning and well-intentioned individuals who Mm -hmm. are just trying to understand what's happening. Uh, You know, first it's masks and I, I, you know, I wear a mask. I, I visit my daughter in the children's hospital. She was born on the sixth. She's only three pounds now. She was born three months early. I have to wear a mask when I go into the hospital. I don't. I, I don't. Uh, you, that's not something that I have a problem with. I, I, I'm not. 
fighting that. But what I am fighting is for the, the ability for people to make their own decisions when it comes to their health. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what I hear you saying, too. Yes, and I, I want to uh, bring up the fact that what made the Holocaust and, and the Nazi regime unique was its use of public health and the medical profession to implement. They both designed some of the horrors, conducted them, gave the orders, they made the selections at every step. And it is very, very uh, upsetting to see that, again, public health is being used as a weapon uh, to force people to do things without asking questions. I know we're looking at uh, this vaccination, uh, these inoculations in the coming days, but there are questions about the vaccine and the the fact that you would ask questions, it kind of automatically puts you in a in a strange category. But shouldn't we ask about the effect, the effectiveness of this uh, vaccine, maybe the side effects as well? We're hearing some stories that are concerning. Um, well, the it's other more piece than of- stories, yeah. I mean, of course we should be asking. We should have been given information before the, before the vaccination uh, project, really. These vaccines follow, you know, we've had two other pandemics before this, in 1976 and in 2009. At that time, they were swine flu. Mm-hmm. Okay, in 76, and in each case, what happened was that the government, in partnership with pharmaceutical companies, quickly came up with a vaccine, and those vaccines caused irre- irreparable damage. Okay, the 76 vaccine caused um, Guillaume. Barry, which which is a, a rapid uh, destruction of muscles, and then in two thousand and nine, it caused necrolepsy in thirteen hundred mostly adolescents. What that teach should teach us is you don't <laughs> test something something like a vaccine that goes into your body rapidly, skipping safety studies. And it takes time to to elicit, to find out what the most serious adverse effects could be. And instead, unleash this on millions of people. And of course, this vaccine isn't even really a vaccine. It's using technology that manipulates genes in a way that has never, ever been done before. No other vaccine or or drug or anything has been brought to market using this technology. So why should we blindly just trust it and, and have everybody exposed before we even know what it might do? 
Vera Sharab is here with us. She's the founder and president of AHRP, the Alliance of Human Research Protection. And Vera, I, I want to, we got to take a, a quick pause here. But coming up, I want to talk about why this is so important. One of the things we're starting to see is this idea of vaccination papers. You've got to have your papers. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, it's mm-hmm. now, it's moving into an electronic phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vera's a Holocaust survivor. She's seen this play out before. What does it look like? What did she see in her experience? And where are we headed as a, as a country, as a nation, and, and the world? Back with Vera, in for Glenn Beck today in the Glenn Beck program. Justin Barkley, right after this. She survived the Holocaust, and, and she's seeing some eerie parallels to what's happening now. Vera Sharav is with us, the founder and president of AHRP.org. Um, biomedical research ethics, I mean, human rights. You've been involved in this process for a long time. Now we're starting to hear... Maybe the government won't force us to get this vaccine, although there's still question about that. However, corporations might, in fact, make it mandatory that you have this vaccine or you can't go to uh, a vi- a visit a business. You can't go to a concert. You won't be able to fly. What should we be concerned with there, Vera? It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that Americans have for decades resisted the idea of an identity card which was common in Europe <clears throat> excuse me and now it's not just an identity card now they're planning essentially to have on one card everything your health uh, record your vaccination record your bank account uh, you name it your life essentially all the things that you need to use in daily life will be all in one, and soon it's going to be a chip, <laughs> not, not even something you have to carry, but that'll be embedded in you. Well, I think people need to rebel. I think people need to say, hey, you're going far too, far too extreme as a government. We never really voted for any of this. What did, have you seen in your time and specifically in those instances in the, during the Holocaust that, that this is this is leading us down a road that we really need to think about? Well, uh, one of the things that I learned later, I was a child, remember, I was a little child, um, was that the IBM punch card system, the censorship that was done in Germany, Austria, everywhere, really, that facilitated the roundup, the identification, the uh, eventually extermination of the Jews of Europe. Okay? And, as I said, doctors were involved right in the front lines. Actually, originally, they the first victims were young German babies and children under three. Children who had some some abnormality. <clears throat> they were identified by midwives, by doctors, preschools which sent reports to the government, and then doctors selected those children that they deemed to be not worthy of life. 
and the children were taken away from their parents. The parents were deceived. They were told that the children would get special treatment. That special treatment was later known as the program T4. The children were killed. They were murdered. Either by lethal injection and some were even some were even subjected to starvation diets so that the doctors could document how long it would take for a child to survive without nutrition. Vera, this isn't that far off, though. I mean, we think about this Holocaust and, and how long ago this Nazi Germany and these things were, and it may be a different world, but in fact, these types of experiments and things have happened on yep. American citizens. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, most people don't know about these things, uh, and some don't want to know, but I think no. it's very important that we know exactly the, very, the fact that, you know, governments, if they're not being watched, if they're not being watched, that they only, <laughs> that they only rule in areas that they're supposed to, not where they're not supposed to then, yes, horrors will happen. The dark is the best way for horrors to happen. And right now, we, the people, are being kept mostly in the dark, and any, any scientists or doctors or any of us speaking about these things uh, are being censored all over the Internet, and, of course, the mainstream media doesn't allow any any such voice. That's, you know, that's exactly how dictatorships work. That's how the Nazis kept the German people in the dark. Look, most, most German people w did not commit the crimes, but they stood by and did nothing. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people, Vera, as, a, as a, someone who survived the Holocaust and your background here, with, with speaking out, who say, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to end up on a list. I think you and I might already be on one, but I'm afraid I'm going to end up on a list. I, I just, I just want to go along. I mean, people are really facing that they uh, really decisions. No, fear is the way that the Nazis did it, that the Soviets did it, that the Chinese did it. They, they all operate on that same formula. You keep this people in dread and great fear, whether it was, you know, it used to be about war, the enemies coming. Now we have a situation where our government is pointing, you know, the gun essentially at us as if we were the enemy. Now, one of the, one of the uh, aspects of this vaccination is that under Operation Warp Speed, there's going to be tracking, and the tracking is going to be done by the military, technology companies, and intelligence com uh, agencies. Now, why? This is, this is like as if we were, you know, an enemy country. I know folks are going to have to make decisions here. In the coming Absolutely. days, the reason absolutely we, they really will have to make decisions. Go ahead. 
why we're talking about this now is that so you can have these conversations early. You don't want to wait to the last minute to ma- have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. This is something that you want to hear about now so that you and can you have want a to conversation. Ask questions. You know, one of the one of the things is that informed consent, you know, that's really the holy grail. And informed consent was <laughs> mandated by the Nuremberg Code, the Nuremberg trials of the doctors, of the Nazi doctors in that in their decision in that trial, they handed down the Nuremberg Code, which is 10 items like the Ten Commandments. But the first and foremost is the voluntary informed consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. And that has, that's the cornerstone. And informed consent means disclosure of the potential and known risks. We are calling for transparency throughout this entire process this whole year and in in so many different ways. That's that's the only way you can have informed consent is if there is transparency and if the the folks, the populace can actually be informed. I know you've got uh, resources at your website. I want to give you a chance, ahrp.org. We'll make sure that folks can go over there. But Vera, I want to thank you for your courage to stand up, to speak out, to, to use your experiences as a gift for everyone else, because if you're not doing this, then who else will? Well, it's exactly why I'm doing it. I couldn't possibly keep quiet, because when I came out of the hell that I was in, I sort of asked, where was everybody? Where was everybody? Why did they allow this to happen? Mm. And now this, yeah. Vera, Vera Sharab, the president and founder of Alliance of Human Research Protection. Thank you for being here with us today. God bless. Coming up, a little bit of hope as we continue, even in these dark days. He survived that Nashville bombing. His family was right in the middle of it. The miracle that he witnessed with his own eyes after this. Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck program. Justin at JustinBarkley.com. You can reach us, too, at 888-727-BECK. That's 888-727-BECK. And I just had a, a brief conversation off the air with Vera, who, if you didn't get a chance to listen, uh, you, you want to go back and listen to her in the podcast. Go to glenbeck.com and you'll be able to, to pull that up and listen to her. But she is the president and founder of AHRP, the uh, Alliance of Human Research Protection and a Holocaust survivor. And she said to me, um, I can't imagine. She said, this is, this is very hard to talk about the horrors of of what we went through, what we've experienced is happening again. And to have to stand up and to fight this happening again in a, in a world and in a place where she never dreamed in a million years, it would come to America. It is a, it's a conversation that I think a, a lot of folks need to hear. Go check that out in the podcast there at glenbeck.com later. Well, from dark times to some light. And there is hope. As Vera speaks up and stands out, it's her hope that you will hear her message and speak up and stand out too. It's not all bad news. Even in the midst of some of the most 
trying times that we've experienced over this last year. Even in the midst of the chaos, there are good things happening. And as one man and his family spent Christmas Day in Nashville, outside of the building where they stayed in Airbnb, this message was playing early that morning. explosion occurred that we all woke up to on Christmas morning. Our next guest, as I said, was there with his family. Buddy Ganey joins us right now. Uh, Buddy, I, I read, he's, Buddy's actually a friend of mine on Facebook. He, he lives here in West Michigan where I'm from, and I saw his, his uh, post on Facebook, and my jaw just dropped as I read through it. Buddy, you, uh, you went down to visit in Nashville, thought you'd spend some time there in Airbnb, and you were right on that street, just steps away from where this bomb went off. Yeah, we, um, our daughter Cayman lives in Nashville. She moved there about four months ago. So my wife, Michelle, and my daughter, Quincy, and I decided to fly down and uh, spend Christmas with her. And uh, she has an apartment with three other girls, so we needed to find a place to stay. And my wife found this Airbnb at uh, 178nd Avenue. So... I mean, you're just a couple of doors away from where it went off. That's yes. that's incredible. Now, you, you described the Airbnb uh, in your post. You said you were a little bit disappointed at first that when you got inside, there were no exterior windows. Yeah. Um, on the way down uh, at the airport, I was just reading some of the finer print that we must have missed. And <laughs> this uh, condo was actually an, an interior condo, so there was no windows to the exterior other than um, there was a couple windows in their family room that looked into a very small, completely enclosed atrium. So I had called and, and said, hey, is, you know, I'm not very happy about this. Is there a way we could move somewhere else? And they were fully booked. Um, as it turns out, that was uh, God really looking out for us in that scenario. Um, had we been on the street side where the windows were right there on the street, we would have probably been injured or possibly killed by the the breaking glass and the debris that would have come in the room. It's it's absolutely unthinkable to, to wake up to see this news anyway on Christmas Day. It happened right outside where you slept. What, tell us what that experience was like, buddy. What did you what did you hear? We heard reports of gunshots fired. We heard uh, this message that was playing. What did you experience? What were you hearing that day? We did not hear any of the messages or, or gunshots. Um, I know the police were evacuating people. I think they were coming in the back of the building and they evacuated him in the rear to First Avenue. And I just don't know if they didn't get to us or if they pounded on our door and we didn't hear them. Our, our bedrooms were actually on the the second floor. The first floor was the kitchen and family room. The second floor was our bedrooms. But I'm a very light sleeper, so I, I feel like I would have heard that. So I just don't know if they had, didn't have time to get to us. Um, so we were sound asleep uh, at the time of the explosion, 6.30 a.m., and it was just one of the loudest sounds I've ever heard, combined with the entire building shaking, glass and debris falling over the condominium, uh, jumped up and could immediately smell smoke. So 
I yelled to my daughters down the hall, my wife, I said, we have to get out of here as soon as possible. I, I can't even imagine what you're thinking and what's going through your mind uh, as that's happening. You hear the explosion. You know something has gone wrong, but you're not quite sure yet. Uh, you grab the kids, and, you know, as a new father myself, I mean, I can't even imagine fathom what you're doing to protect your wife and your kids at that point. But uh, you grab them and run. What, what's happening? Yeah, at first, you know, my only thought was this has got to be an earthquake or something. I couldn't couldn't imagine what would cause this kind of, uh, you know, sound and, and shaking the whole building and, and possible fire. Um, so luckily, outside of our bedroom, there was a, a kind of a couch there, and I had placed the keys to the car on my wallet, a couple other things on that on that couch, and I just saw it, and I was able to grab it, which, you know, if it was somewhere else, I wouldn't have been looking for it. So thank, thank the Lord that that was right there. And uh, so we went downstairs, and my fear was opening the condo door to seeing, like, massive flames and smoke and, and being trapped. And thankfully, that wasn't the case. Um, when we opened the door to the right, to, a, to the back of the building, to First Avenue, the, the hallway was completely filled with smoke. So we, the closest exit was really to the front onto Second Avenue. Um, when, you, when you came into our building, and you can see it on the body cam video about 2.30, the officer turns to the right and you'll see our entrance there at 178. There were two, the guy had, had to be 20 foot tall, uh, double glass and wood doors. And you had a keypad access to go in. And then you had another 10 feet, another keypad, and, and then a set of a, identical 20 foot tall glass and wood doors. And when we came out of our condo door and rounded the corner, there was nothing left. It was just obliterated. There was glass and wood and debris everywhere. Uh, I think a water pipe had broken because there's just water just gushing down into the whole area. Buddy, um, I, as I said, I can't imagine being awake to all of this. I know that it was your wife or your daughter who ran out. You guys just grabbed what you could and got out of there without shoes on. Is that what happened? Yeah, my wife, Michelle, and my daughter, Quincy, both uh, did not have shoes on. And so we get to the to the street and it's, you know, looks like a war zone. I've never been in war, but just from watching movies and, you know, just there was debris everywhere on the sidewalk. On the, and literally right across from us was a car that had exploded and was completely engulfed in flames. Um, another interesting thing is that the night before we uh, we were there, I was going to park my car right in front of the condominium. There was a, a spot on the street, a metered spot. And, of course, the meter ran out about 6 p.m., so I thought, well, I'll just park here and then, you know, get the car in the morning. But I didn't know what time we'd get up, so, you know, I think the Lord was just kind of directing me that, yeah, don't park here. So I went and parked across the street in the in the surface parking lot, which turns out was a big thing because if the car had been there, it would have been destroyed. So, anyhow, yeah, my wife and daughter had no shoes. Uh, the girls kind of ran to the corner, and I looked, and my wife, I mean, we're all in shock. My wife was kind of frozen, trying to slowly step her way around all the debris. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Is this building going to come down? Is there another bomb? Is there, you know, a shooter? So I just, you know, pure instinct, ran back, grabbed her, threw over my shoulder, and we ran to the corner. You took some pictures. We haven't really been able to see the full scale of the damage with the pictures that have been on TV and floating around. I'm not really sure why, but you took some pictures on your way out and it looks like hell. It, um, 
it was the most terrible experience in our life and um i certainly wouldn't wish it on anybody and uh you just you know you kind of keep replaying that moment in your mind uh over and over again which which is probably not a good thing to do but then you go through scenarios of you know what if this building collapsed because literally uh, right next to our building that building collapsed and you know we'd have been trapped under concrete and wood and glass you know probably seriously injured or killed and and so you just you know that god was in control making sure he was protecting us and you know it's just a miracle that we got out with our lives how are you guys doing right now well justin uh, uh physically we're fine um emotionally and mentally it's tough um as i said you just keep replaying that moment in your mind and you know sometimes you'll just have it pop in your head and, and, you know, start crying about the whole thing because you're just so emotional. Um, so I think, you know, I don't like to use the term PTSD because I think that's reserved for soldiers that have been in war, but we definitely have some kind of emotional trauma that we probably need to, to talk to some people about, kind of work through that. Loud sounds will startle us. Um, that's just kind of, yeah, it's kind of tough. I am praying for your family, and I know that um, I know that the rest of the folks listening today are too, uh, buddy. It, I I am so grateful that you you made it out, and that that everyone did make make it out. And in, in what you describe, and I I completely agree, is only as if God had His hands on you all that day and was keeping you safe through this. It is a miracle. Um. And I am so glad that you shared this story with us because this, and especially the time that we're in right now, is the glimpse of hope, that glimmer that we, we all need right now, no matter what is happening. I just appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thanks, Justin. And we really appreciate uh, all the support and loves and prayers that uh, people have been given to us on Facebook and uh, people that we don't even know. And uh, I just also want to say I'm just uh, so proud and, and grateful for all the all the police and, and fire personnel that were there. Those police officers certainly saved many lives. Um, and if you watch on the body cam video at the two minute mark, you'll see them walking by that RV. And obviously, if it exploded at that point, they would have been been killed. And so they just, you know, they moved into the face of danger without any regard to their safety. And, and they saved lives. And, and they're the real heroes here. And some are calling to defund the police. The heroes are running towards the danger, not away from it. And, uh, boy, uh, there is no greater moment than what took place that day and uh, what happens every day when those folks go out to, to serve and protect. Buddy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Justin, I really appreciate it. God bless. God bless, brother. A happy New Year Bye-bye. to you. In fact, uh, he mentioned the police, another miracle. I don't know if you saw the story or not, but one of the officers said he heard what he could only describe as a voice from God warning him to move in the opposite direction. And just moments later, that RV exploded in Nashville. You'll hear that story coming up. Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. Justin Barkley in for Glenn today. At Mr. Justin Barkley on all of the social media platforms. 888-727-BECK, B-E-C-K, is where you can get in and join the program at any time. And we just spoke with a man who 
he and his family were right there on the street the Nashville bombing occurred. They were sleeping in an Airbnb, and by the grace of God, they were saved. They were spared. His story isn't the only one. I don't know if you've seen the story of this Nashville police officer who said he heard the voice of God that saved him that Christmas morning. Which is the parking garage and then uh, second to commerce to get out of the blast radius. And uh, at that point, I get out and I'm starting to go back toward uh, Llewellyn and Hosey. And as I'm getting ready to walk toward them, walking back toward the RV, and I, this might not be politically correct, but this is my truth. And I literally hear God tell me to turn around and go check on Topping, who was by herself down on Broadway. And um, as I turn around, you know, for me, it felt like I only took three steps. And then the music stopped. And as I'm walking back toward Topping now, I just see orange. And then I hear a loud boom. And uh, as I'm stumbling, because uh, it, it rocked me that hard, I started stumbling. I just tell myself to stay on your feet, stay alive. And I just take out in a full-out sprint, and I'm running toward Topping to make sure she's okay. And uh, we kind of meet in the middle, and we just grab each other, check each other, and I'm yelling at her to get her gun out. Because, like I said, I felt like there was going to be some, it just, just had a feeling that, you know, it's just weird. You know, it just felt like some of a movie. And so we're checking on each other, and um, she's, she's asking me, she's telling me that they're trying to raise me on the radio. I couldn't hear, so um, you know, I just lost temporary um, hearing in my left ear. It's an incredible story, and there are many just like it, even in the, some of the darkest moments we've faced throughout this year. There have been glaring, bright, shining ones that should give us hope. No matter what we face, as we close out the last chapter here in the moments remaining in 2020, that 2021 is on the way. Happy New Year, America. It's Justin Barkley in today for Glenn on the Glenn Beck program. And yes, we count down the last few remaining moments here of 2020. Some folks are excited. But what will 2021 look like? Will it be any different or just more of the same? Got a look into the window of what is yet to come here in the next few days, months, and throughout the entire year. And we'll do that with you coming up right after this. This is the Glenn Beck Program. What a year. Hey, 2020 has been, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, a blur. It's Justin Barclay here from uh, Wood Radio, WOOD in Grand Rapids, in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. And I, I got to tell you, I I feel like the days have just flown by, but in also in ways that they just lingered and lasted forever. It, it's been the most strange year of my entire life. Chaos swirling all around us in a lot of ways. But it's been one of the best years of my life, too. Can I tell you a secret? It's been pretty amazing. And I think there's a reason for that. I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. It's a bit of a secret. My wife and I, although in a similar situation, were expecting the birth of our daughter in March in 2021, she came about three months earlier in 
December on the 6th. She was only 2.6 pounds. Uh, we had to rush to the hospital. My wife's water had broke. We were there for about a week. And I've told this story, and she's doing great, by the way. Because of the prayers of the folks who are listening to this show and, and many others. God's hand just present through the whole thing. She's perfect, just a little early. So on one hand, we have this, well, this stress of this emergency. But on the other hand, we have this gift from God. And she truly is. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Steve Jobs said that you can only understand things looking back when the dots connect. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't have picked this way. But God had a plan. Once her water broke, now that she's here, otherwise my wife was going to have to spend seven weeks in that hospital on bed rest. And I think everything happened the way it was supposed to. Everything happened for a reason. Could it be, though, that much of 2020 was the same way? Could it be that everything happened for a reason? I said a little later into this thing in 2020, I thought, hey, it's 2020 vision. Everything's going to be awesome. I can see clearly now. <laughs> and now I am starting to see that I can see clearly. And that, that there was a reason why everything happened. I said that 2020 was a year of revelation. And I don't mean necessarily like the book and the Bible. Although, <laughs> I I really see... That everything, and I saw this back then, that everything would be exposed. It would all come to light. In fact, we're seeing it in so many different ways. Our society, who we are, even, down to the individual, is being exposed. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it. Warts and all, right? On one hand, through this entire pandemic, we've seen politicians make questionable moves, either for... You know, best intentions or power. Who knows? But they made questionable moves and they're front and center. This one from Canada is the latest. His name is Rod Phillips. He gave this announcement to Canadians telling them not to leave or go anywhere. Stay home for the holidays, he said. Hello, everyone. It's Rod Phillips, the MPP from Ajax. On this Christmas Eve, I want to wish each and every one of you a very Merry Christmas. I mean, there's music playing in the background. He's got a fireplace. Only problem with this whole thing, as he told his own constituents to stay home, he was in his home on the island of St. Bart's. <laughs> there's even a gingerbread house and milk and cookies or eggnog or something next to him on the table. It's incredible. Then you have the juxtaposition of the leader, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, yesterday, asked if he had gotten the vaccine. No, so what, I, what I've said is um, I'm willing to take it, but I am not the priority. They're the priority. I'm under 45, um, and so the people under 45 um, are not going to be first in line for this. And so when it's my turn, um, I will take it, um, but, but this is who I want to be vaccinated. I want my parents, our grandparents, to be able to get it. 
And, you know, granted, I mean, I'm an elected official, but what do you do? Uh, at the end of the day, let's focus where the risk is. Leaders eat last. He said, you know, I, I understand these questions about the vaccine, but I want the folks who are most vulnerable to have them. Maybe we can save some lives that way. There's a lot of questions about leadership that comes out of this year that I think need some answers. And who are our leaders? Where do they come from? You know, they say that you get the government you deserve, and I believe that that has never been more true this year. Maybe it's our fault, or we're at least responsible. You know, I have some sense that we are looking and have been looking in our institutions, in our leaders, to the media, even the parties, right? For this perfect Savior to come and rescue us all. We've lifted them up way too high, I think. Even higher than our true Savior at times. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why we're constantly being let down, right? Is that we're looking to the wrong place for all the answers. Maybe that's why we feel so hopeless. Maybe it's because our real hope lies elsewhere. Coming up next, I'm going to talk to a man, a guest who posted something online the other day that really resonated with me. I think he'll have a little hope for you and for me, for all of us, to finish out 2020, but also to see 2021 a little differently. A wise man once said, what do you expect over the next 10 years? And it's the question that I asked today. What do you expect 2021 to be like? Much of the same that we've seen through 2020. And that can be good or bad, depending on your perspective. We'll give you some that maybe give you a little hope. Coming up right after this, Justin Barkley and for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. Hey, welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. It is Justin and Mr. Justin Barclay on uh, Twitter, Facebook, all of those places. But we're joined now with a guy on Instagram. In fact, I saw him post something this week that really resonated with me. Let me read a little bit to, to you. If a person lives as a victim, they will remain stagnant until they are rescued. If a person lives as a villain, they will face justice or die. If a person lives as a hero, they'll achieve much and receive rewards. And if a person lives as a guide, they will earn the respect and adoration of heroes everywhere. The energy we bring to our lives matters. The stakes are high, and the stakes are not only personal, they're communal. A country that collectively sees itself as a victim will not rise to their challenge, but instead resign themselves to their dark fate 
and continue to be oppressed by dictators from within their own country or beyond. Donald Miller joins us right now on the Glenn Beck program. Don, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, there's more to this post, by the way. I share it on Twitter if folks want to see it. And, um, you know, this just really resonated with me. Don is, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy, and I guess to give you a bit of an author, he's a, a background, he's an author. Uh, he's got a great company called Story Brand. He helps businesses walk through their stories and how they can resonate with folks that they want to sell stuff to. And an amazing job with this, but you have a background with faith. And let's just talk a little bit about that first and, and, and maybe why that plays such an important role here. Yeah, you know, I, I got my career started writing memoirs. And uh, in order to make those memoirs more interesting, I studied a lot of narrative structure. So story and how it works. Uh, one of those memoirs was turned into a major motion picture. And so studied story even more and was fascinated as I discovered the power of story and the power of narrative transportation. So narrative transportation is a, a term that describes what happens when you believe a story. And what's interesting is if you can frame a, a narrative that people will buy into, they, the narrative is so powerful in their, their mind, they will begin to reject facts that uh, would threaten that story. And, and so what, what narrative transportation proves is that story narrative is actually more powerful than truth. And so it's, it becomes very important that we begin to tell stories that are true and live stories that are true. And, and I think in, in this day and age, it, it's fascinating that, that on the left, on the right, in every facet of society, we have people who are believing things that simply aren't true. And not only that, we have a difficult time really getting to the heart of what is true. You know, on Christmas morning here, Justin, in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm, I am today, at 6.30 in the morning, I was in the bathroom uh, brushing my teeth, and I just felt the earth rumble a little bit and uh, kind of wondered what that was. And about 30 minutes later, it came on the news that a gentleman had pulled in, in downtown Nashville and, and set off a, a bomb in an RV. And my wife said, gosh, what, you know, what do you think he was thinking? Luckily, nobody was was killed. There were three people injured, but it could have been much more devastating. I said, honey, you know, I don't know. But what they'll uncover eventually is that this person had bought into some kind of narrative in which they were playing a role in a story, whether he thought he was doing something heroic or he wanted to be the martyr. We, it will probably be uncovered that, uh, that he subscribes some sort of narrative. And so as the FBI begins to investigate that, that's exactly what they're uncovering is that he, you know, he believed in some conspiracy theories about literally about lizards and 5G networks, <laughs> you know, to, uh, uh, controlling lizard aliens and things like that. And that's a, that's an absurd example, but is it, it, it still affects us, right? Because he did go down in this fictional mindset and in the real world blow up a, a big, portion of Nashville, Tennessee, at least two or three blocks. So the, the roles that we believe we play in a story dictate how our lives go. And uh, and so what you read on Instagram was just a piece of, a, of, of some writing that I was working on and thought, you know, I might let the public see this and, and see what they think, because it seems very culturally relevant. You know, you go on to say, Donald Miller's with us, by the way, and um, he goes on to say in this post, as an American, I grew up in a country that, though certainly flawed, perceived itself as heroic inside an evolving story attempting to perfect liberty for all. Today, the collective consciousness is increasingly attracted to political messages in which we are described as victims in need of rescue by political parties or their representative strongmen. 
we've seen that play out a lot in the last few years in some really damaging ways, in some divisive ways, mm-hmm. whether it be identity politics or just the polarity of everyone picking a tribe. How do we get back to seeing our story, whether it's as individuals or this this country itself, as a heroic story, and to recognizing, although there are flaws, right, mm-hmm. that that we've got a great country and that we have greatness inside all of us, those seeds anyway. Yeah, you know, it's the greatest country in the history of the world. Uh, our, our economic system is the greatest experiment in the history of the world at reducing poverty. It, you know, it's got flaws. We need to, to change some things in the tax code and tweak some things in capitalism uh, to make it work even better for everybody. But it, it, you can't argue with the fact that this has been the greatest exercise. We, we, we did that with a heroic mentality. You know, as I studied story, what I discovered was there, there are four major characters, the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. Those are the four major characters in stories. And, uh, they, those characters are the major characters in stories because they're the major characters inside of us. On any given day, Justin, I play the hero, the victim, the villain, the guide, right? The hero wakes up early and gets started on his goals. You know, but then my computer, I forgot to charge it last night. So I'm the victim and I've got to sit around and wait for this computer to charge. I got a bad attitude with my wife. There's the victim. And then she says, well, you know, if you just remember to charge your computer before you go to bed. And I say, well, you know, I get vindictive and get mad at her. Now I'm playing the villain. Uh, and then she says, hey, you know, can you help me get something done? I say, sure, I'll help you. And now I'm playing the guide. Mm. Th- those are the four roles. The hero overcomes challenges, overcomes villains to free victims. The victim is a bit part in the story. It's what, what everybody needs to understand. The victim exists only to make the hero look good and the villain look bad. That's it. That, that's the purpose of the villain in the story. The villain is seeking vengeance and uh, trying to, uh, to punish those who have hurt him or her. And the guide is the one, the old sage, who's helping the hero win the day. Again, those four characters exist in, in stories because they exist in us. Now, stories make them really clean. You know, we see this person as the hero and they separate the identities into different people. But the truth is, it's much more nuanced in real life. What, what we'll find, though, in life is that when you play the victim, your fate ends up very similar to the way the victim ends up in stories. They either die or they're rescued. And what you'll find at the end of a story is the victim is not given a reward the victim is not praised. The victim is not respected. They're usually hauled off in an ambulance, and then the camera goes back to the hero who's given a reward. Uh, we find that when we play the hero, uh, we, we earn the respect of the people around us. We accomplish our goals. We accomplish our objectives. We put uh, villains in their right place, which is either dead or in jail, uh, and life goes pretty well for us. Uh, if we play the villain, and sometimes villains trick themselves into thinking they're being heroes, uh, but there, the, the difference between a villain and a hero is the villain is seeking vengeance and the hero is seeking justice. And those can get very distorted. But when we are hurting innocent people in the name of a good cause, we are definitely playing the villain. And, and what happens to the villain is they are either go to jail or they're killed. Uh, the guide in stories uh, is not the, the, the main character in the story, but it's arguably the most respected character in the story. Gandalf 
is the guide. Haymitch in The Hunger Games is the guide. This is a strong character who's already played the hero for many, many years and is now teaching other heroes how to win. You know, this would be our elder class in America, the, the greatest generation, those who's gone, who've gone before us who can turn around and teach us something. What, what I'm finding more and more and what troubles me, Justin, is that political messages that say you are being threatened by outside forces, people are out to get you, uh, you deserve better. There's there's nothing you can do. You're helpless. Let the government step in and and be your rescuer. Well, if if the government is our rescuer, then who are we? We're the victims. And so what happens to a country when it collectively identifies as victims is what is what happens to a, a, a victim in a story. They, they're either they either decline uh, and, and make somebody else look good or, or they perish. And, uh, you know, I don't want, want to be too dramatic, but. Uh, the reality is, you know, those days when when we were putting a man on the moon and uh, we were building our economy and even in the civil rights movement, we, you know, we played a heroic role. If people look at the civil rights movement as a as a bruise on our country. And certainly it is. But it was it's also a country that was willing to fight with itself uh, to become better. And 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 so, you know, there's this heroic identity that is. Don, I got to hold on one second. We got to take a quick break. I'll be right back with you because I want to ask some questions about this. How do we change from victims to victors? Welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. Justin Barkley in for Glenn today. Well-deserved vacation as we count down the last few moments of 2020 and look forward to 2021. Love to hear from you. Triple eight seven two seven Beck. That's eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. I'm at Mr. Justin Barkley, Facebook, Twitter, and all over the place. Um, and Justin at justinbarkley.com. We're talking with Donald Miller right now, who is sharing, you know, some of his thoughts behind this post that I saw on Instagram that really resonated with me. And we're talking about how you can transform not only in your life, but maybe we as a country, as a society, can transform from victims into victors. And uh, Don, you just mentioned some of this, how we've been hearing the messaging from uh, politicians and, and the media and, and different places um, ab- about this victim mentality and why we've kind of all sort of settled into this in some ways, uh, maybe individually in our lives. It's very easy to do it. But there's an alternative that you mentioned, mm-hmm. a couple of them actually. And just run through those quickly again, and then we'll get to like how we can maybe do that, not just uh, in our country, but in our in our lives as well. Well, the, the you know there are a few things to remember. One is that the, there are actually victims in the world. I mean, there are people. You know, Henry Cloud, a friend of mine, describes a victim as somebody who has no way out. So if you if you actually use that definition, a victim has no way out. The majority of the time when we see ourselves as a victim, we are na- actually not victims. We actually do have a way out. It's just that the way out is hard or the way out has, has, uh, is going to request that we sacrifice. Uh, and so we a lot of times when we're playing the victim, a, a little bit of self-awareness would show that, you know, the reason we're playing the victim is that victims uh, can get out of their responsibilities because they're, you know, they're they're in too dire a situation to to take care of whatever they need to take care of, or they can attract a rescuer. The problem is when we play the victim and we're not a victim, people actually get tired of us. And Justin, you know, I grew up in a home. We were very poor. You know, we stood in line for government cheese. And I remember just being so embarrassed and worried that somebody at my school would see me doing that. And, uh, you know, mom had to work till 7 p.m. We were latchkey kids. We held, you know, our key was hung around our neck on a, 
on, on some yarn and, and nobody's there to help us with homework and all that kind of stuff. I really did grow up thinking I was kind of dumb and I was bullied a lot. And because I was bullied a lot, I, I learned this defense mechanism of playing the victim. And, and to some degree, it works. It, you know, people leave you alone a little bit. They don't bully you as much. But at the same time, you have no progress. You do not get better. You do not transform into a better version of yourself. You do not accomplish goals. You just hide. And uh, and so I think we, we want to have a lot of compassion for people playing the victims because it is a survival mechanism. But what changed my life personally was when I realized and it was and I'm embarrassed to say it was even in my early 20s. It took that long when I realized that that everything I wanted in life, I wasn't going to get by playing the victim, uh, that that it was. In fact, it was just an unattractive uh, role to play in life. And when I realized that and began to take some responsibility for my life, things slowly transformed over the next 10 years. And I was able to, you know, develop a work ethic, uh, lose some weight, start dating, uh, write a, a few best-selling books, uh, start a company. And now, you know, I, I'm not embarrassed when I look back on the way I thought and the way I lived in my teens and, tw and early 20s. Uh, but I, I do find myself completely unrecognizable. So one of the things that happens in stories that's so exciting is that characters transform. They actually do change. Uh, the hero changes and becomes a better version of themselves. They are ill-equipped at the beginning and they are confident at the end. You know, if you look at Star Wars, he doesn't know, if, Luke doesn't know if he can be a Jedi. By the end, he's destroying the Death Star. Uh, in, the, in King's speech, King George doesn't know if he can do this. He thinks the wrong person, uh, fate, if you will, has chosen the wrong person to be king. But he works with his guide, that is Lionel, the drama teacher, teaches him how to talk. And by the end of it, he delivers a speech without stuttering. And uh, he is transformed. When we meet somebody who hasn't changed in five or ten years, they're complaining about the same things. You're in the presence of somebody who sees themselves as a victim. And one of the most tender, beautiful things you can do, if it's possible, and I think you don't want to do this unless you've earned the right to do it, is just to explain what happens to a victim. Uh, they, they don't transform. They don't get the girl. They don't uh, get the promotion. They don't accomplish their goals. They don't do that. And the reality is they're seeing themselves as a victim. So I want to be really careful because as soon as we start judging victims and thinking of them as lesser people than we are, we actually start playing the villain. A hero has great compassion for victims and great understanding and also great, uh, great uh, understanding for liberty and free will. If somebody wants to be a victim, they have every right to be a victim. It's not my responsibility to change them. Uh, but I think it is my responsibility to explain what happens to victims and what happens to heroes and invite more and more people into a heroic mentality. Mm. That's a that's a great way to put it, an invitation. So Donald yeah, Miller, an invitation. Donald Miller with us right now, storybrand.com is a website and uh, author of some great books, including Building a Story Brand. But uh, you mentioned those memoirs b beforehand. You might want to grab some of those or, or go pick some of those up. Um, Scary Close, Blue Like Jazz, a couple of those. Donald, you mentioned you kind of got your ideas as you wrote these books and uh, were part of uh, this movie and, and, and now helping businesses do this. You got your basis and your background for the stories. So we know how those formulas work in the movies and in books and whatnot. And they're very close to what happens in real life. How do we choose, you know, in the real raw moments to become either a hero or a guide and say, you know what, I'm going to stop being the victim, maybe personally in our own lives. And then also as a country. Well, some things have to happen uh, in order to play the hero. 
And of course, I don't mean in order to beat your chest and be the center of attention. I mean, I mean, in order to inside yourself, see yourself as somebody who's capable of change and capable of great impact. One of the things that a hero does in a story, and it works in our own lives too, is they have a clear, defined uh, goal in mind. Uh, they they want to accomplish something, and, and they've written it down. It's very very clear. This is also in line with Viktor Frankl's work. Viktor mm-hmm. Frankl was the Viennese psychologist who was alive during the time of Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. and contended, as Sigmund Freud said, that people's dominant pursuit and desire was the desire for pleasure. Viktor Frankl said, "No, it's the it's the desire for a deep sense of meaning." And he said, "In order to find meaning, you need to have you need to take action on a goal." You need to move forward. That meaning is experienced in motion. And so, Justin, you know, every morning, not every morning, but at least three or four mornings a week, I get up and I read my life plan that I created for myself. And it starts with my obituary. And it and it basically says, here's what I want my wife to say about me. Here are the things that I want to have accomplished. Uh, and, and so there's a sense of movement toward a purpose. Uh, victims, on the other hand, are lost. Victims only want to be rescued. They're not trying to change the world. They just want to be rescued. They just want somebody to come and take their pain away. And, of course, if you're a real victim, we hope that that happens for you. We hope that somebody comes. But but a victim state is meant to be temporary. It is not meant to be permanent. It is not who you are. It's a state that you are in and can get out of when we actually say, okay, this is what I want to accomplish. Another characteristic that heroes have in common in stories and heroes have in common in life is that they're not afraid of, afraid of conflict. They're not afraid of challenge. They want to change something and they know changing something is going to be hard. And so when, when life gets hard, instead of saying, I don't want it to be like this and this is unfair, they say, Oh, this is exactly what life is supposed to do to us. It's supposed to challenge us. And it's only through encountering pain that we become better people. There is no other way in story to make somebody a better person than to encounter pain. And so what we find is that when, when we are in the heroic role, the pain doesn't change. The challenge is still there. It's just that we like it. I mean, when, when Dwayne Johnson, the rock, is working out, he feels the same pain you and I would feel. Mm. The difference with him is that he likes it. He enjoys it. And he, and he enjoys the benefits of it, right? He looks very different than me. And, uh, and so, that, you know, if we, if we say, this is what I want to accomplish in life. Here's what I want to change. And I'm willing to go through great challenges and uh, and condemnation maybe and, and even people attacking me and those sorts of things in order to make this thing happen we find ourselves in a heroic role and and what you'll find since i read victor frankel 15 years ago you know there's there've been days that i've woken up and and life has been sad tragedy has hit my community and you know and i don't want to do this work today uh, but i'm going to go do it and, you know i'm not saying life is always happy but I promise you, Justin, in 15 years, since I've defined my goal and, and goals and, and read my life plan, I have not woken up a single day and not experienced a deep sense of meaning in my life. I really like life. I like it on its terms. And its terms are, this is going to be difficult. So being willing to face the fight, right, and knowing exactly what you want and where you want to go, these are the individual things that define us. Donald, what what can we do as a nation? How do we make the turn together? Well, we need to choose leaders who are capable of a unifying mission. In my opinion, the narrative that we are living as a country right now is Democrats against Republicans. Uh, our, our government is very expensive, and we elect people who 
who want to bring down the other team, if you will. And what that means is we've got a Congress that fights with each other rather than getting things done. And and I'm sick of it because I think they're wasting my money. And we have a media that incentivizes that sort of outrage at the other party. And and so if you look at all the incentives, the incentives for the media, the incentives for Democrats to bash on Republicans and Republicans to bash on Democrats. If you look at the incentives, we are incentivizing this country into decline. So what we need is we need a, a, a leader who stands up and says, look, I think we're about to get passed by China in 2025. Our debt is horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, our military is is not as strong as China's. China's naval fleet just passed ours. Uh, our education system is in decline. Uh, and the reason is none of these people are getting anything done. They're too busy in a bar fight. And we need to stop the bar fight. We need to come together and decide that America will lead the world in education. We will lead the world in our military capability. We will lead the world in in the freedoms that we enjoy. And, and, and this is important because we want to prove to the world that democracy and freedom is the best nurturing environment for humanity. It's important. And instead, I think we have, I think we've, we've got on both sides of the aisle, Justin, I think we've got some short-sighted leaders who are winning the battle, but are losing the war. And so what it's going to take is leadership that unites the country for real. And I think that's when we, we find our footing again. Uh, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of leaders out there. At least the microphone is not being handed to a lot of leaders who are willing to do that. Donald Miller, storybrand.com. Um, I really appreciate this conversation with you, and I look forward to hearing more in the future. Uh, great post on Instagram. We'll share that, too. It's over on my uh, Twitter as we speak. Uh, Donald, thank you so much for being here with us today, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes. Justin, thanks. Congrats on the new baby, and Happy New Year. Thank you. You too, my friend. Donald Miller. That is uh, that's a conversation that we'll continue to have because it's, you know, it's not going away anytime soon unless we take action, as he pointed out. So what's what are some of those things we can do? We'll continue to look down the road and continue our conversation right here. You can join the program at 1-888-727-BECK. That's 888-727-BECK. And get the good news, because there's certainly more of it happening. I've got a good news letter. You can go check it out right now. JustinBarclay.com slash good news. JustinBarclay.com slash good news. Back right after this, in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program. You're listening to Glenn Beck. I just want to say it has been an honor and a privilege to fill in for Glenn during his well-deserved vacation. It's Justin Barkley from Wood Radio in Grand Rapids as we count down the remaining moments here in this year, 2020, and look forward to 2021. I guess we have some decisions to make, quite a few, but in the most simplest terms. Every year, folks make resolutions and they fail. I'm one of them. But how do we make changes And can we? That actually lasts. I know we can. I'm a guy who dropped almost 100 pounds not too far ago. And I've kept it off, even through this crazy pandemic. (laughs) And the craziness with my daughter in the hospital and 
the things have happened. I know that real change can be lasting, and it can happen. It's just up to us. It's up to you and me. It's it's our choice. We get the government we deserve. We get the bodies we deserve. <laughs> this is coming from a guy who's had a few cookies this holiday season, right? But we can make change in our own lives and in our country. Don't give up. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021 in the first few days. On the 6th of January in Washington, D.C., the Electoral College. On the 20th, I don't know who will be sworn in. But as I've said over the few days that I've had a chance to spend time with this wonderful audience, in for Glenn. I know that God is still in control and he's still on the throne. So instead of putting my faith in institutions, organizations, political parties, maybe media, even leaders that I like, I put my faith, my trust, where my real hope lies. A higher purpose a higher calling that's it for me today appreciate you being here get the good news my good news letter justinbarclay.com slash good news no matter what happens on social media anywhere else after the beginning of the year we can stay in touch that's it happy new year god bless this is the glenn beck program